Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. Show. We are in South Carolina. South Kakalaki. <laughs> Again with your Kakalakis. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, South Carolina is one of my favorite states. Uh, I had a lot of good times there. Charleston is beautiful. Lots of old haunted mansions. I did come across a lot of offers for haunted tours and ghost yard tours. And in Charleston? Tours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love Charleston. It's funny when I first got there and I was just like to this lady that I would at the, like the checkout. I was like, your city is so beautiful. And she's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you live there, you're used to it. So you don't see how yeah, pretty it is. It, right? But it's it's a very nice city. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's not without its problems, but have you been to like the, the coastal areas too, like Hilton Head and stuff? Uh, I was on Kiowa Island. Um, that's like the most coastal I got. Um, okay. I don't know where that's at. Uh, it's somewhere in South Carolina. I don't know ge- geography of the state, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it, there was water and an there was water and yeah. Uh, also there were lots of roaches in the place that we stayed. Well, isn't that the thing? Like, like there's those huge flying roaches and they call mm. them palmetto bugs. In, like, yeah. South well, palmetto Carolina. bugs are, I mean, it's pretty standard throughout the South to call them palmetto bugs, I think. But Florida is like the biggest state okay. for calling them palmetto bugs. Um, they're basically the same thing as, oh, was it brown something cockroaches? I forget. The screeching brown cockroaches. They're not the screeching ones. Okay, That's like, you're thinking Puerto Rico. Oh. The ones that fly and hiss at you. <gasps> yeah. That's Puerto Rico, which okay. is like the... I had a coworker who was from Puerto Rico and she said that she was going to take me there. <laughs> uh, and um, I was like, I heard that you guys have flying hissing cockroaches over there. And she's like, oh, that's only if you go out to the country. I'm like, oh, where do you live? The country. <laughs> um, well, I have some fun facts because I know you love them uh, about South Carolina. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear them. All right. I think I do. All right, cool. This one I thought was really cool. Um, have you ever heard of the angel oak? Angel oak. It's this ginormous oak tree, and it's one of the oldest living things east of the Mississippi. It's this huge tree that's believed to be 1,500 years old. Okay. And it's just like, you know, when you think about those like Robin Hood movies yeah. that are filmed in like these ancient forests in England, that's what this tree looks like. It's just ginormous trunk, limbs everywhere, like falling down to the ground. Oh, cool. It's huge. It's gorgeous. But yeah, I thought that was really cool. And that's on John's Island in South Carolina. I do like trees. This is pretty interesting. In 1969, it rained Cremora in the town of Chester, South Carolina. It rained what? Cremora. Are you familiar with Cremora? I don't think so. Cremora is like a brand name for like powdered non-dairy creamer. Oh. I know it because that's what my mom always called any kind of powdered non-dairy cream. It was Cremora. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess there was a plant there. That had an issue with an exhaust event and it just oh, no. released a bunch of powder into the air. So it basically like rained milk. <laughs> Hopefully this wasn't around 2001. Nope. To 1969. Okay, good. Because I was about to say everyone would be like, anthrax, it's anthrax. <laughs> Why does that? There's clouds in my coffee and it tastes <laughs> like cream. I had some dreams. There were clouds in my coffee. <laughs> so we all know Georgia is the peach state, right? Yes. However, South Carolina actually produces more peaches than anywhere in the country except for california take that georgia why is it always a georgia peach i think that's a very uh typical variety maybe yeah i don't know i just i think of like peaches and peach cobbler and everything like that and i think of georgia so then i think of the rockford peaches and i want to watch a league of their own again 
Oh, God. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> There's no crying in baseball. South Carolina is home to the world's smallest police station. In Ridgeway, South Carolina, there is a police station that was in full use from 1940 to, ni- to 1990. It is the size of a toll booth. What? Yep. How? Just the one officer. That is weird. So is it like where he changes into Superman or? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) Fortune tellers aren't allowed to go around just telling fortunes willy-nilly in South Carolina. They have all these rules about fortune tellers. I I mean, if you think about it, I always think of that share song, Gypsy, Tramps, and Thieves. Oh, yeah. I feel like they're always traveling down south. So it's like in North Carolina, no professional fortune tellers. In South Carolina, you have to have a special permit from the state to be able to tell fortunes. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. They're serious. So I don't know what your paranormal story will be about. I don't know yet either. But in Lee County, there have been sightings of a lizard man. Oh. In 1988, a teenager reported seeing a large scaly creature that attacked his car. Uh, they said the car's paint was like badly scratched. And when the police investigated the scene, they saw they found these 14 inch long three toed footprints all around the road in the car. Huh. Weird. First when you said scaly creature, I just thought it might have had psoriasis. But... <laughs> <laughs> you need some eutherin. <laughs> and then also kind of hilariously, the next fact I have is about frogmore stew. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It's not made from giant lizard people. It's actually a traditional South Carolinian dish. Um, that's not actually a stew. doesn't use frogs, but it's almost like uh, what we would call a lobster boil or a crab boil. Oh, okay, yeah. So that is referred to as a frogmore stew. Gotcha. Frogmore stew. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this list of Southern foods that was on Facebook, and it was like, you know, we'll tell if you're from the South by how many of these that you've, mm-hmm. you've eaten. Mm-hmm. And mine said that I was truly Southern because I <laughs> ate like 16 or 17 of them. Most of them I would not have again. No? No, because it was things like frog legs, pickled pig's feet, mm. and other gross stuff that I don't understand why anyone would want to eat. I guess, I mean. But then there was like other things like, you know, chest pie and oh, stuff like that. so good. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, so we all know South Carolina was the first to succeed from the Union. It's yep. where Fort Sumter is. That's kind of... A fact, I guess, not that fun. But much like Pen- our home state of Pennsylvania and our love of weird town names, mm-hmm. South Carolina also has some wacky town names too. Are they all religious? No. Okay. Some of the best ones here on this list are Coward. Okay. Probably someone's last name. Probably. South of the Border. All right. Due West. 96. Oh, all right. <laughs> and welcome. Okay, I've heard of welcome. Yeah. I'm like, that's pretty great. I like that. I like that. That's, wow. All right. Because, um, I mean, with us, we got some weird ones, and they're all out in Amish country. Intercourse. So, intercourse, blue balls, bird in hand. Um, Virginville. Virginville. I know there's more, but I oh, can't think so of them. Uh, another thing that's very uh, uniquely... South Carolina is sweetgrass baskets. Sweetgrass baskets. Mm-hmm. They're like these handwoven baskets, and it's like a very distinct weaving, I guess, basket weaving okay. process. Uh, they are very similar to some of the baskets that were woven in like West African countries. So oh, they cool! Think it kind of became a tradition with all of the uh, slaves mm-hmm. on plantations in South Carolina brought it with them. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, let's see one last fact about 
South Carolina before we jump into your fantastic story for today. There are about 10 to 15 magnitude 3 earthquakes happening per year in South Carolina. Huh. But apparently the biggest earthquake was the Charleston earthquake of 1886. It was the largest earthquake to ever hit the southeastern United States with a magnitude of 7.2. That's pretty high, I believe. Yeah. You don't really think of like the southeast as like a... No, I always think of California. Yeah, And that's California. like, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's our fun facts about South Carolina. That's interesting. Anyway, I guess I'll start. Yeah. All right. My story today is one of three that I wanted to cover this week. Damn you, South Carolina, for having so many interesting stories. We have officially found a fault in our formula. Sometimes a state needs more than one episode. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll loop around again at some point, and maybe I can tell you all my other stories. Anyway, my story for this week takes place in Union, South Carolina. It is the county seat of Union County, which should make sense. Okay. Uh, and has a population of about 29,000 people. And an area of eight square miles. Originally called Unionville, the city and county were both named for the old Union Church. Its settlers came from Virginia in 1749, and it began to really grow during the Revolutionary War. This place is old and has a lot of history. And at least 21 buildings that I know of are now on the National Register of Historic Places here. Wow, that is a lot of history. A lot of cared for history, too. Yes, which is good. A lot of NFL football players came from this town, including Jim Youngblood of the Rams, Bob Jeter of the Packers and the Bears, and Daryl Austin of the Jets and Buccaneers. Hmm. If you're into nature, you can go to the Piedmont Physic Garden. If you're into history, you can check out the Rose Hill Plantation Historic Site. There's also another plantation you can visit called the Cross Keys Plantation. And finally, if you want to get your spooky on, you can always visit the, I believe it's pronounced Gist Cemetery. Gist. G-I-S-T. Sounds right. I also heard a rumor that the Rose Hill Plantation might or might not be haunted. Oh, I have a feeling that it is. What isn't haunted? What old <laughs> plantation isn't freaking haunted? Like with most of the South, it seems to be a very religious place. A lot of things are closed downtown on Sundays, and they seem to have a ton of churches all around. All in all, it looks like a really nice town with plenty to do. However, no matter how nice a town may seem on the surface, there's always something lurking in the most unlikely places. Ooh. This is the story of Susan Smith. Do you know this one? I know that name. Okay. Well, I didn't remember all of it. Uh, it happened in 94. We'll get to that. Um, but this is a crazy story. See, you told me your dilemma about the three stories. And you kind of, because we don't actually tell each other what we're covering. Yeah. We just kind of hint at it to make sure we don't accidentally cover the same topic. But now that you say that, I'm like, uh-oh. Because before you are like carjacking, this can't be that interesting. Mm -hmm. I was. Yeah. I was. I was like, well, I guess that's a choice. That's why I downplayed it for you. <laughs> Because it's a good story. Um, so Susan Smith was born in Union, South Carolina on September 26, 1971 to Harry and Linda Vaughn. She was the youngest of three children as well as being the only girl. Her home life was a bit rocky to say the least. Her parents got divorced when she was around the age of seven, which is pretty standard for a lot of families now, I think. You know, divorce isn't really that 
big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, it's still a big deal to the people that it's happening to. Well, it's not, it's not, you're not the weirdo kid. Exactly. You're not like a pariah. You're not, yeah, ostracized from the community because your parents got a divorce for shame. Um, We, everybody knew somebody who has a blended family or. Yeah. It seems to me that most of my friends that I know, most people that I know have parents who are divorced and not together anymore. I know very few that have parents that are still together. However, what happened five weeks after the divorce was a little less usual. Okay. I guess her father didn't take the whole thing very well, and he ended up committing suicide. Oh. He was only 37 at the time. That's super sad. To make matters even worse for Susan, her mother remarried only shortly after the divorce. Hmm. The guy's name was Beverly which I always think is a really horrible name for a man. I'm sure historically it was like a man's name before it was a woman's name because that mm-hmm. happens a lot. But still, you don't see very many guys with names like Beverly, Stacy, Ashley, Paige, or Courtney anymore. Or Dana. Or Dana, yeah. Um, I went to school with a girl whose name was Dana who was named after her father. So, yeah. Okay, this guy Beverly. He was known throughout town because he was the head of the local Christian coalition and a chairman of the town's Republican Party. Oh, so... Kind of a big deal. I'm assuming he's a pretty conservative guy. Yeah. Anyway, because of all this, it really took a toll on Susan growing up, and she was a bit withdrawn as a child. Mm. She seemed to do better once she got a little older, though, and she did well in school uh, and was fairly popular. I think they said that she was on, like, um, like honor roll and stuff like that. She was elected president of the Junior Civitan Club. It focuses on doing things for your community. I had never heard of it before. I don't know that word. Uh, so, very new to me. I've never heard of it either. I guess they also did senior polls at this school, like they do in most schools, and she was voted friendliest female. Did your school do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you win anything? Mm-hmm. What did you win? Most artistic. Most artistic. Or most creative, something most like creative. that. Most creative. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. It wasn't a very large school. It wasn't very, yeah. It was only like, I think there was less than 200 seniors, so. Oh, really? My graduating class was somewhere between 250 to 270. So, yeah, mine wasn't very big either. Mine had a really stupid name that I won. It was Rebel Without a Cause. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That just gave me so much insight into your high school persona, Eden. I know, yeah. I think I still have the sign somewhere, too. I may have thrown it out when I was moving, but (laughs) it probably is somewhere in this house. So remember what I said in my introduction about things not always being as they seem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, for all her outwardly happy persona, things were still bad at home. When she was 16, her stepdad began molesting her. Of course, because he's a creepy, conservative, Christian, Republican. <laughs> I do as I say, not as I do. It's yeah. I don't point out what I'm doing. Exactly, yes. I said that you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she did tell her mom as well as children's services, and they did remove her from the home for a little, but it didn't last, and she was soon right back where she was and nothing really coming of it. That's pretty fucked up. Needless to say, once she was back in the house again, Beverly was able to do whatever he wanted to her again. Um, but also things got worse because her mother was kind of like, why did you tell anyone about that? How can I show my face in public? Mm. I'm so embarrassed because you brought shame upon our family. Seriously, like you don't even care that your husband's abusing your daughter. So that was just really fucked up. 
When she was about 16 or 17, she started working at the local Winn-Dixie. Now, when you're in the South, there's pretty much three grocery store chains that I can think of. Winn-Dixie, mm-hmm. Publix, mm-hmm. and Piggly Wiggly. Yep. I prefer Piggly Wiggly, but that's just me. Anyway, she was doing pretty well there, and she started as a cashier, but was promoted by the time that she was a senior to bookkeeper. That's a pretty like Big impressive jump. job for I know. Like, a high schooler. Yeah. Well, she was smart. She was good in school. So bookkeeping, you know, I would suck at a job like that because I'm my... just like numbers. No. Not my forte. Like, do you need me to do the chalkboard art for the dairy section? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I I have dyslexia in general, but I have like number dyslexia, like really bad. Uh, dyscalcula. That's it. Yeah. I have that. It's not fun. She also began having a relationship with a co-worker who was around her age, as well as having an affair with a married older man. Oh, and Beverly was still forcing himself on her as well at this point. Uh, she ends up getting pregnant and having an abortion. Mm, that's a really awful, messy situation for a teenager to be in. Absolutely. Um, so I'm uncertain if the abortion is the reason for this or not, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, the older married guy ends up dumping her. Because I think it was probably like he thought that like, and if it was his, you know, what would that mean for his wife and all this stuff? Mm-hmm. So, you know, she didn't take this well and ended up trying to kill herself by taking aspirin and Tylenol. Is that a, is that a thing that could happen, I guess? I guess. Did she take enough of to it? Have enough, enough of anything. I'm yeah, assuming. Fair point. Fair point. She was treated at the hospital and survived, but it did come out that she had previously tried to commit suicide when she was just 13 as well. Oh. A little down the road, she ends up dating a guy named David Smith, whom she was friends with in high school and who also worked there with her. He was currently engaged to someone else at the time, but broke it off when they started dating. She ends up getting pregnant again, and they decide just to get married. Okay, I mean, it's a pretty typical thing. Yeah. They ended up marrying in 1991 and move in with her new husband's great-grandmother. Okay. This is where things get even more depressing, but this time it's for David's family. Eleven days before they had gotten married, David's parents had lost their other son due to Crohn's disease, which I didn't know you could die from. Isn't it like an autoimmune thing, too? All I really know about Crohn's disease is that like you are really, really limited in what you can eat, and they try to put you on medication to make it better. Everyone that I have known that has done well with it, like having like virtually no symptoms... Mm-hmm. has done it strictly with diet, not with the medication. You looking it up? Uh, it's immune-related, but it's not autoimmune disease, apparently. Um, but it can make you more susceptible to certain types of like parasitic infections. Oh, okay. And it's just not a, not a good thing. Yeah, it, it sucks. It definitely sucks. Yeah, because your body basically attacks your digestive tract. So yeah. That's awful. How fun. Starting off with something cheery. As Um, always. (laughs) Anyway, a lot of people's marriages don't survive the loss of a child, and David's mom leaves and moves out of town, and his dad tries to kill himself. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Lots of suicide attempts in this story. A lot of sensitive people, a lot of tragedy already. Yes. I kind of imagine Susan at this point being like, okay, I've got this. It's like a rerun of my life. I can handle this. Mm. And just, um, you know, it was a horribly tragic event, but it sort of made their bond stronger as Susan was able to comfort him. 
Yeah, tragedy does bring people closer for sure. Yeah. Their first child, a boy named Michael, was born on October 10th, 1991, and things were pretty good for a while. They really loved Michael and showered him with all the affection in the world. However, Susan still kept in contact with her mother and would often hit her up for financial support, which David didn't like. In fact, he really just didn't like Susan's mother, Linda, very much at all because uh, she was just very controlling and she did a lot of backseat mommying. She sounds a little bit toxic. Yeah, so it just wasn't a good thing. After about only a year of being married, the two ended up separating but saw each other on and off. It seemed like they were half-heartedly trying to repair their marriage, but Susan was also seeing one of her exes as well. So it was just not the greatest time anyone had ever. So (laughs) (laughs) I love your understatement. I know. In November of 1992, Susan became pregnant again, and she and David got officially back together. They ended up borrowing money from Susan's mom and getting their own house, thinking that might fix some things. But it was still more of the same. They still had their problems, and Susan was just not having a great time of being pregnant either. They break up again. David starts seeing someone new. But then, after August 5th, 1993, when their second son, Alexander, was born, they end up getting back together yet again. Our lovebirds aren't quite finished playing out this soap opera quite yet, though, because this only lasted three weeks, and David moved out again. Oh, my God. How old are they at this point? Because they're like... 20s, I think. Okay. So like they're still pretty young. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to be an adult and also being parents to two little boys. Yes. Okay. This didn't affect the way that they cared for the children, however, and both seemed to be loving, caring parents. If you remember, David and Susan have still been working together at this time because they work in the same place. Oh, they're still at the Winn-Dixie, huh? Yeah. So yeah, they're still working together and... Susan just doesn't want to deal with that anymore since they are pretty firm on the decision to get divorced now. So she starts working for Conso Products, which was the largest employer in town and starts off as their bookkeeper. Okay, so she kind of goes from bookkeeping one place to... It's a lateral move, yeah. yeah. Uh, But quickly gets promoted to executive secretary and starts dating her boss's son, Tom Finley. Okay. That's kind of for the course so far for susan oh yeah absolutely they were together for a few months before tom broke up with her via letter that's like a text message version of he sent her like a freaking four-page letter i was gonna read it all on here but it's too long so (laughs) i didn't he stated in the letter that the reason that he was leaving her and didn't see the relationship working out was because he just didn't want children she didn't take this well and fell into a deep depression Tom Finley was a big deal in this town and was seen as Union's most eligible bachelor since his dad ran a company that provided jobs for the majority of the town. Yeah, he's kind of like the golden boy a little bit. Oh, yeah. He had money, status, everything Susan didn't. The weird thing about their relationship was that Susan had actually left him a time before this because she had gotten back together yet again with David, her ex-husband, but then after a few months left him and went back to Tom whom she was just crazy about and had planned an entire future in her head with. He had also written some things to her that had hit close to home. Mm -hmm. In this letter, he had witnessed her kissing a married friend's husband in a hot tub at a party that his father was having once. What the fuck? And wrote, quote, 
If you want to catch a nice guy like me one day, you have to act like a nice girl. And you know, nice girls don't sleep with married men. Oh. Catty. Very catty. Yeah. Wow. Wow. While their relationship was going on, she was also still having a sexual relationship with David behind Tom's back. Still sleeping, I guess, maybe willingly at this point with her stepfather, Beverly. I'm not sure if it's willingly or not, so don't quote me on that. But it just seems like since she's out of the house and it's still going on, that maybe, I don't know. That's, wow. Yeah. Wow. And allegedly had also slept with her boss, Tom's father. That's so messy. Yeah. She told him this much in a weird attempt to get him back that is just baffling to me. I want you so bad. I know you still love me. I was sleeping with my stepdad, my ex, and your dad while we were still together. Doesn't that prove my love to you? <laughs> Maybe it was like, I'll drop them off. You be with me again. Yeah, it's it's very strange. So on October 25th, 1994, Susan left her job and picked her kids up from daycare like usual. She's still thinking about Tom and their breakup. She's not doing well with it, though. She goes to a tavern after that and talks with a friend for a while, then goes back to work with the kids and tries to talk to Tom again. Kind of weird to bring your three-year-old and 14-month-old with you to talk to your boyfriend who doesn't like kids. But okay, whatever floats her boat. A working mom's got to do what a working mom's got to (laughs) do. The talk didn't go well, and she finally arrives home with the kids at around 6 o'clock. They have pizza for dinner, and since she's completely obsessed with Tom, she decides to give her friend a call whom she knows is going out to the bar that Tom goes to. Okay. She asked about him, and he was in fact there, but hadn't said anything about her at all, so that was a little disappointing. After all, she wanted the hot goss, as the kids (laughs) say, or maybe they don't. I'm not very hip with kids today and their bugging street slang. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. But... After all this, somewhere around 7 or 8, she takes the kids, straps them into the car seats, and decides just to take a nice, relaxing drive to make herself feel better. She stopped at Walmart to pick up some things and then planned to visit a friend. But that's when something unexpected happened. Smith stopped at a traffic light when this guy with a gun broke into her car and held her at gunpoint. He told her, drive or I'll kill you, once he had gotten in and she listened. Okay, because she's probably terrified. Yes. So now the four of them drove down the road away from downtown. She said her children were crying in the back seat because obviously that's a horrible situation for anyone to be in, of course, especially small children who don't know what's going on and have no way to defend themselves. She said the guy held the gun pressed against her ribs. After a while of driving, they reached a road by a lake, and the guy told her to get out. So... She said that she was like pleading with this guy, please don't hurt my kids, stuff like that. But he stole her car and drove off with the kids. After this, Smith said that she ran to the nearest house and called 911. Both the state police and the FBI were called in to solve this crime because of it was just freaking awful. Susan had said that she was held at gunpoint and her kids were missing uh, by some potentially crazy guy. The police did ask her to describe her assailant, but all she really managed to say about him was, uh, he was black. That was pretty much the best that she could describe him. Wow. Directly after all this went down, David came over 
to help her through it. And he said that Susan was just a mess through all of this and really worried about her children. Like, as she would be. Yeah. They searched for these kids for nine days with the police, FBI, and residents of the community all coming together to help. They had Susan sit down with a sketch artist and try to get a good description of this, quote, black guy, end quote. But she kind of just gave this vague description. He could be anywhere between 30 and 40 years old, dark eyes, dark hair, medium build, and anywhere in height between 5'9 and 6 feet tall. Okay. So that's, you've just described half of the population. Yeah. Like, yeah. They actually said that it described about half the population of the nearest big city, Columbia, and actually pulled the sketch from the air because it just wasn't helping. Yeah, it was probably like a lot of false reports, too. Yeah. It's like so vague that it could be anybody. This case became a big deal in a short matter of time with both local and national media outlets running the story of this vaguely described man out on the loose with two little boys and a stolen Mazda protege. I remember that because I remember like the press conferences of like her and her husband. Yeah. And she was just a hot mess. Like oh, pleading yeah. for her children to oh, be returned. Yeah. She addressed the media herself as well, as you just said, giving these tear-filled speeches about how she just wanted to hug her children and that she couldn't eat or sleep. However, at this point, law enforcement were having doubts about Susan Smith's story and just weren't sure that she was being completely honest about everything. So they decide to ask her to take a lie detector test, which she ended up failing. Ooh. After this, police were like, okay, Susan, what aren't you telling us? Mm -hmm. She got belligerent, according to one of the officers, and refused to answer any more questions on the subject. Even though the police were starting to believe that maybe she wasn't being honest with them, they still kept searching and tracking down tips that came in from people. They even got a lead on the location of the car at one point, but it turned out not to be Smith's Mazda. Okay. She went on TV again saying, I love you so much. Your daddy loves you so much. I know in my heart that you're out there. You guys have to be strong and take care of each other. Again, she was crying her eyes out and seemed 100% sincere. At this point, police were pretty much questioning her daily. The police had checked out her story and things just weren't adding up. The Walmart greeters didn't remember seeing her come into the store. Her friend that she was going to visit never made plans with her, nor was she even home that night. Hmm. The biggest hole in her story came from what she had said about being carjacked, though. Where she was in downtown Union at the time of night, where she said that she was stopped at a red light and that there weren't any cars on the road or any witnesses, that had to be a lie because the light will only turn red if there are cars coming from the other direction. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, like a time traffic light. Yep. Oh, that's so sketchy. Yep. She ended up changing her story at that time and tried to fill in some of the gaping holes. Uh, At this point, there were a lot of people who ended up to think that she was responsible for the crimes. So she once again went on the news on all three major networks and said, It hurts real bad that you would think I could do something like that to my children. I am innocent. Pretty much right after, though, she goes and talks to the police again, and they wear her down. And she just breaks down crying, confesses that she knows exactly where her children are at the bottom of the lake. Oh, my God. That's right. Yep. Uh, the funny thing is, when I started telling my mom about this story. Yeah. 
I was like, I got a crazy one this, you know, this week. And I told her, she's like, oh, it's not Susan Smith, is it? And I'm like, you remember this? She's like, oh, it was everywhere. I'm like, I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember it like crazy. But in 94, I wasn't watching the news all the time. Plus, I bet if you were a parent, like... It'd be a lot scarier. I I bet it would piss you off, too. Oh, yeah. Being like, who the hell does she think she is? Exactly. They go to John D. Long Lake and find the car under 18 feet of water and 122 feet from shore upside down. One of the first things they noticed was a small hand pressed against the window of the back seat. That's the most upsetting thing I think I've ever heard in my life. And this whole podcast is pretty much about upsetting things. Yeah, that's truly a horrific image. Yeah. The letter from Tom was also in the car. She tells the police that the reason that she did it was because she intended to kill herself due to her depression from being dumped and didn't want her children to grow up without their mother. So she drove her car onto the boat ramp, put the car into drive with the emergency brake on, got out, took the emergency brake off, and let the car roll into the water with her kids still in their car seats. That's not killing yourself. That's killing your children. Exactly. Before she confessed, the police actually came up with a really complex plan where they made this fake newspaper article to show her about a woman who confessed to killing her kids, got out of jail, and married a rich man and lived perfectly normal life after that. What the fuck? Yeah. That's so messed up, but like... (laughs) Yeah, they were even planning on having a police officer pretend to be the woman in the article and talk to her, but they never needed to use that plan. (sighs) That is crazy. And that part was never released back then. It was only released like... um, a little bit ago, a few years back. So they had like super strong suspicions. They're oh, like, yeah. We got to like. They're just like, she is not telling the truth. We got to like bait her into like telling her. Yeah, because she is a story. great actress. Like mm-hmm. you've seen the clips. I've seen the mm-hmm, clips. Mm-hmm. Crying her heart out seemed completely sincere. I mean, in a weird way, it kind of makes sense because I feel like she grew up having to have this one face to the world, like an honor student who's like, you know, yeah. a bookkeeper at like the grocery store. And then she has this horrible home life where just a, a, all these affairs and emotional Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Upheaval. Mm. On November 3rd, 1994, the fact that she had killed her children was announced to the public. All of this was 10 days after everything began. Mm. Both Michael and Alex were buried together in the same casket. There was a viewing for the boys, but it had to be a closed casket due to the fact that their bodies were so badly deformed now from being underwater for 10 days. The town actually made a little remembrance shrine to the boys by the lake where they had drowned. It really hit the community hard. The town was out for blood because of the lies that Susan Smith had told, but the African-American community was especially angered since her completely made-up story of a carjacking slash kidnapping that she had just been like, I don't know, some black guy did it. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. Yeah. She ended up writing a letter to her husband saying she was sorry but that people were too concerned with their own grief to see how she's feeling. Oh, my God. Yeah, people are so selfish like that. This poor man. Poor David. <laughs> I know. Like, I feel so bad for him. I know. And I watched um, a video, and he was like, I believed her the entire time. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, it it really is upsetting, and it's really sad for him and his family, and her family, too. I mean, mm-hmm. when it came time for her trial, she was given a public defender, uh, and she also had another lawyer. I don't know why she had both, but she had two lawyers. Uh, An interesting thing about this is that the death penalty was on the table, as of course it would be since this crime was, to quote law and order, especially heinous. (laughs) But since Susan Smith had stated on many occasions how she was suicidal and wanted to die anyway, 
Some people wanted her not to get the death penalty because they felt like life in prison would be more of a punishment for her. I could see that. They knew this whole thing was going to be a media circus, so they ended up banning cameras from the courtroom and also placed gagged or- gag orders on everyone involved. This was like right after the OJ trial. So they knew just how nuts things could get. Yeah, and especially with all the like the inter- the sorry, all the national media attention. Yes. And the OJ trial I definitely did watch. <laughs> <laughs> um Susan herself was not allowed to take the stand due to her being suicidal. They thought that she might sabotage herself. Mm-hmm. Now, the prosecution didn't have to prove motives since Susan had already confessed. But they went there anyway, which opened the floodgates for Susan and her defense team to make an alternate theory. Okay. The defense said that Susan was just a naive and troubled mother, and the deaths of her child were just the sad result of her own failed suicide attempt. Which doesn't make any sense. No. This thing became a bit of a circus, even without the cameras, because the sexual abuse of Beverly was brought out, which I guess humanized Susan a little. They also brought up a family history of depression, suicide, and alcoholism. The whole biggest thing of the trial was that Susan had been attempting suicide at the time and tried to take the kids with her and just couldn't do it. However, the most probable reason for the death of the kids, as brought out in the court case, goes back to um, Tom and getting him back. He didn't want kids, so this was her way of no longer having children. That hurdle would have been jumped and she'd just have her darling wonder heart back. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. And again, I will say, if you're listening to these episodes out of order, that reference will make no sense. But it's too good not to reference. So make sure to listen to New Jersey Part 1 to learn more. Furthermore, on the whole getting rid of her kids to be with Tom thing, she also said to a friend five days before the kids went missing, I wonder what life would be like if I didn't have kids. <gasps> yeah. I mean... In retrospect, that's fucking damning. Yeah. But I feel like I've definitely heard parents who've been stressed out. Who've like, said that, yeah. Yeah, especially when they're talking to like somebody who doesn't have kids. So I mean, You say things like, let's say, you know, you can't get a moment alone. Your kids are going nuts. Yeah. And you're just like, God, what I wouldn't give to not have kids right now. You know, it's yeah, totally normal. normal. But then like being but, like, I wonder what it's like not to have kids. My kids are gone. Yeah. I think it was pretty mm-hmm. much like, I wonder what it's like not to have kids. Hmm. Ideas in my head. Uh, so the defense psychiatrist tried to say that she had dependent personality disorder and major depression. I think we talked about dependent personality disorder. Yeah, Teresa Lewis was diagnosed with that. Yeah, so we know what that is and major depression. That's self-explanatory. I'll let you guys in on a little secret. I was diagnosed at the age of 13 with major depression, and I haven't killed anyone, so that's not an excuse. She was found guilty within two hours of deliberation by the jury. That's quick. Yep. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years, which is coming up in 2024, I believe. Uh, So this woman could be out in four years' time. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm certainly not okay with it. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I guarantee her husband's going to be there at that parole. Her ex-husband, I guess. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely sure. He's still one of the death penalty for her. So we're going to go back before the sentencing for a second though and discuss a few things in the sentencing hearing okay the prosecution made this video of how the car would have sank and said smith had six whole minutes to decide whether or not to save the children 
They put a camera in the back of the car too to get a first person view from the children's perspective as well, which I imagine was painful to watch. I only saw a few seconds of the video and I was done. Mm -mm. The defense objected to the video, but the judge allowed the video anyway. The important thing about this video was although you could see from outside the car that it looked like it sank quickly, it took a lot longer for the water to rise from the inside. So just those kids just sitting there and stuck in their car seats watching this. Uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. inflammatory, but kind of puts it's, what she did in perspective. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, she's been in prison and her life is quite interesting. And in my opinion, I don't think she's remorseful in the least for the incredibly despicable crime that she committed. First, let's talk about her sex life. What? As if it hadn't been crazy enough, she's had affairs with at least two prison guards that we know of, both of which were fired and one of which was even jailed for this. When interviewed, one of them said that she just caught him alone one day and told him how lonely she was and how she thought he was the nicest of the guards. He has described her as being highly manipulative. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, especially when you consider her past affairs with like married men. Oh, yeah, and everything else. She probably knows how to work things in that secretive on the DL. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, The only reason any of this even came out was because she contracted an STD while in jail. Oh. Yep. She was also caught with drugs at least three times. Okay. She also has been disciplined five times in the past few years for self-mutilation. So... Do you think she'd be remorseful after all those years in prison? Nope. She told the news a few years back, quote, I am not the monster society thinks I am. I am far from it. Mm-hmm. She also has said that she never planned to kill the kids and it just sort of happened. <laughs> so she's still not owning up to not only doing it, but standing there and watching as the car sank with her children inside. Yeah, I'd be highly surprised if she gets parole. Oh, me too. She also said that she didn't lie about what happened to protect herself, but to protect the feelings of her loved ones. What? Yeah, it makes no sense. Really, Susan? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is like my seriously Sheila, but now it's seriously Susan. Really, Susan? Anyone with an S name, just seriously. (laughs) (laughs) The former director of the South Carolina Department of Corrections was quoted as saying, most murderers are one-time crime of passion people, and they end up becoming good people. Susan Smith just hasn't been able to fit that mold. Oh, my God. And it's true. Like I've said before on this show, normally when people murder, it's crimes of passion, and it's like, holy shit, what the fuck did I do afterwards? Yes. And they're normally not going to do it again. She, however... I don't think has learned her lesson at all. He also described her as just about every other person does, vain and manipulative. Hmm. She was actually taken out of the initial prison that she was supposed to be in and sent to another one because she was just too much trouble. Oh, my God. She also had a female lover in jail besides the two men, and she had a male pen pal who sent her thousands of dollars in jail. Wow, jail is kind of like weirdly her best life, which is I know, I know. Uh, Unfortunately, yeah. That's the end of my long, long story for this week, but I do have a not-so-fun fact to end on. Okay. Statistically, in the U.S., around 1,000 children are killed each year by their parents. 
that's fucked up yeah i don't even know so what do you think nicole do you think that she should get out in 2024 fuck no yeah Mm -hmm. i i wouldn't be surprised i mean she has the earmarks to my ears of like a sociopath absolutely like highly manipulative doesn't care about other people's feelings yes like kind of does things to get what she wants admittedly she does sound like a heavily damaged person yeah but there's lots of damaged people like we always say and that doesn't necessarily lead you to be a bad person and commit crime exactly i don't know that's i don't think she should get out and it's weird because most people in jail they start to look kind of like run down she looks like way better than she did when she was out of jail doesn't have the bad perm anymore no like living her best life no she's actually kind of hot now which is just upsetting that's so upsetting (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Seriously, Susan. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. Okay. Well, she she wins douche of the year, in my opinion. But terrible human being to know about. My sources for this cheery week include Wikipedia, which I actually really didn't use for more than the intro. Okay. Um, Thoughtco.com, TripAdvisor, an episode of a show called American Justice titled The Susan Smith Story, A Mother's Confession, The Daily Mail, the New York Times, and amp.thestate.com. I feel like I always end up using Wikipedia for info about the town that it happened in. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like that's a wellspring of information about, you know. That's places. where the majority of my um, my intros always come from is Wikipedia. Yeah. And then sometimes TripAdvisor to find activities to do. Because yeah. we're also weirdly partly a travel show, even though we're not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eden, I'm going to need some moments. I know, yes. To think about how awful that was and then to forget about it for a little bit before i move oh, yes. on to my paranormal story it's not uh as uh i mean it has its dark moments but it's not quite as dark as you're not your as story. cheery as mine yeah yeah cheery we'll go with that yeah oh my god Ugh. all right roadsters we'll be back in a moment hang tight and uh, hopefully i'll leave you in a little bit happier of a place let's hope so <laughs> and we're back we're back we had a lovely break. I made some tea. Refreshed. Ready to jump back in. Yes. And hopefully not get as depressed this time. I don't think you will. I think you'll be delighted, actually. Okay, good. So, our stop for today. Tell us about your super secret place that you didn't spoil earlier. I didn't spoil it. You're going to be delighted. I'm telling you. Okay. I'm not doing Rose Hill Plantation. That's not my story today. Oh, We're actually heading to St. Helena's Island, South Carolina, which is part of the Sea Islands, which is a chain of tidal and barrier islands along the coast of South Carolina, Georgia, and Northern Florida. Oh, okay. So specifically, we're stopping in St. Helena. Uh, The island of St. Helena is 64 square miles and has a population year-round of about 8,700 people. Uh, It's part of the Hilton Head Island Buford Micropolation Area. It's pretty rural, relaxed, and a lot of the sources I read about visiting there said that it exemplifies the character of South Carolina low country. All right. Now, because it has a beautiful coastal location, it is close to Hilton Head, and it does have a lot of tourism, hence why there's only about 9,000 year-round residents, but a lot of people come to visit the island during the year. Due to its coastal location, the island has a long history of European settlement dating back to the 16th century when it was Santa Elena, which I love that, Santa Elena. That sounds very pretty. It just means St. Elena, but yep. okay. Uh, the capital of Spain's La Florida colony. Mm. 
Later, it was resettled by French colonists before the English eventually moved into the island in the 18th century. Like much of South Carolina's low country, the island's subtropical climate is similar to West Africa's rice-growing region. Oh. So the plantations and farms that sprang up there grew similar crops, rice, indigo, cotton. I didn't know that they grew rice in West Africa. Yep. That's a huge rice-growing area. You learn something new every day, guys. (laughs) Now, of course, this agricultural economy was supported through slaves captured from West Africa, as well as indentured Native Americans and some Europeans. So it is what you're thinking. It's a plantation area or okay. former plantation area. Now, during the American Civil War, St. Helena and the other sea islands were captured by the Union Navy pretty early in the war. Uh, basically, like right after the Battle of Fort Sumter, Uh, The Navy came in, they wanted to set up a flotilla blockade, and the first places they could get to that were relatively unprotected were places like St. Helena. Now, because of this, St. Helena is where slaves were first liberated, and the land on the island, once their plantation owners had fled, was divvied up to the former slaves. Basically, each head of household was granted land of their own. Okay, cool. By 1862, Quaker missionaries from Pennsylvania worked to establish the Penn School, which helped educate former slaves. All right. So all of these activities really helped to establish St. Helena as a center for a unique culture to the South Carolina lowlands. It's called the Gullah culture. Okay. I had never heard of it before, had you? No. It just makes me think of that show my nephew watched, though, that was called like Gullah Gullah Island. Yep. That actually is a part of like, so Gullah Gullah Island was kind of set on a place similar to St. Helena Island. Okay. That's part of the culture. It was written by two people who actually are Gullah. Really? Yep. Yep. Wow. So it kind Again, of, you learn something new every yeah. day. So now Gullah culture, it's primarily this resulting blended culture of primarily West and Central African people meeting and mixing with smaller populations of local indigenous and European people during the antebellum period. Okay. So you only really find Gullah culture today in South Carolina and the Georgia low country. And because those are kind of more isolated regions, it's really retained a lot of its African traditions, music, cuisine. So kind of has a lot of ties back to Africa. That's cool. I love African food. They have this like, um, well, specifically in Kenya, um, they make this wonderful peanut soup. Oh, yeah. I've had that. It's delicious. And it's weird because you're thinking peanut soup. That sounds fucking terrible. Don't put that anywhere near my mouth. <laughs> but then you have peanut soup and it is the most amazing thing ever. Well, you know, down south, sometimes they call like peanuts like grippers. Yeah. That's an African word for peanut. Okay. Yep. So now like any culture, the Gullah also have their own language. It's a English Creole language called Jichi. Okay. And it has a lot of African loanwords, as you'd imagine, lots of structural similarities to West African. And because they have their own language, it's really helped preserve a lot of their folk beliefs and storytelling traditions. Many of the cuisines and music and cultural traditions that I associate with the American South actually stem from Gullah culture. Huh. Okay. So stuff like low country dishes like Charleston red rice, Mm -hmm. sometimes you call it Savannah red rice, Hop and John or gumbo with rice all have roots in Gullah cooking. Interesting. So any of those like super rice heavy dishes? Yeah. Yep. That's the gullah. Hmm. And I love anything with rice. I know. Me too. Writing this made me really hungry for red rice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
You've heard the popular spiritual Michael Row the Boat Ashore. Yes. That's a Gullah spiritual that really? is from St. Helena Island. Huh. And I was looking into that a little bit. And some of the stories, like the anecdotal stories about how it came about, where it popped up in the 1860s as part of like, you know, people fleeing yeah. to like St. Helena to basically be free during the Civil War. I'm like, that's interesting. Uh, also, too, a lot of those folk tales we hear from the South, things like Br'er Rabbit mm-hmm. and those trickster kind of stories. Yeah. That's also been part of Southern tradition because of Gullah storytellers. I was assuming that much. Yeah, I was like, ah, oh, it makes sense. Because, I mean, when I think of tricksters, other than Loki and Norse mythology, mm-hmm. I think of probably African mythology mm-hmm. the most because of Anansi the Spider. Yeah, and then like his counterpart, which is like the rabbit, mm-hmm. which I always forget how to say the rabbit. I don't name, remember either, but, but it's similar to Anansi. So, yeah. So, Eden, you traveled a bit in the South. Have you ever seen a house that has its porch ceiling painted light blue? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I've, I've seen it a lot in, in New Orleans. That apparently is also a Gullah tradition. Huh. That distinct blue shade is a color called Haint Blue. And it's used by making a paint from indigo, which is one of the resources readily available on plantations. And the Gullah would paint their porch ceilings, their doors, their wood frames, this vibrant blue color to keep out hates, which is the Gullah word for ghost. Interesting. Yeah. And it's also associated with a distinct cryptic creature. That's the topic of my story today. Oh, nice. The boo hag. The boo hag. Boo hag. You ever heard of boo hags? No. They're, never in my life. I had never heard of them either, and I am surprised because it is a super interesting cryptic really? creature. Hmm, boo hags. All right. So first off, a boo hag is just terrifying to look at. They have no skin. Thus, they are bright red with blue veins covering their bodies and Ew. their eyes glow. Ew. I'm picturing creepy, glowy-eyed Uncle Frank from the Hellraiser here. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Like Uncle Frank before he was put back together. Yeah. Uncle Frank in hell. Yeah. And just like Uncle Frank, the boo hags will steal a person's skin so they can pass undetected among humans. Oh, creepy. <laughs> right? I'm like, what? How have I never heard of this? Yeah, right? This seems like right up our alley. Also, if that wasn't terrifying enough, boo hags are undead witches with a dash of vampire mixed in. You know, just for flavor. Of course, because why not? <laughs> so boo hags will use magic to sneak into a house at night. They slip into the house through even the smallest opening, like a slightly open window, a keyhole, even a crack in the wall will let a boo hag into your house. Huh. Once in- So they're like the bugs that get into my house. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Once inside, they look for a sleeping victim so they can steal their breath for sustenance. So they're like breath stealers or breath eaters. Gotcha. Okay. Instead of blood like a vampire, but well, Just- like European vampires, I should say. Okay. So they want your, your breath. They want your breath. Now, once a boohag finds somebody who will make a good victim, they sit on the victim's chest, basically riding them while they suck out their breath. Boohags usually leave their victims alive and unmarked, basically so they can come back and prey on you again. Yeah, I would assume. However, if a victim wakes up and struggles, the boohag will use their magic to steal their skin and claim it for its own. What? No, I don't yeah, like this. Yeah, people. Oh, great. I don't, I don't like this very much. <laughs> Now, some common signs of a boohag visitation include a rotting smell in the air, the room feeling very hot and damp, and an overwhelming feeling of exhaustion after waking up from a full night's rest. Okay. Well, no, no, I never mind. I haven't had a full night's rest. So about to say, wait, is there a boohag here? Nicole, you're the boohag, aren't you? 
So roadsters, <laughs> if you wake up feeling exhausted in a stinky, damp, hot room, you might have been ridden by a boo hag. God, that just sounds like the worst saying ever. Mm-hmm. Ridden by a boo hag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but never fear. I have a few helpful tips on how you can ensure a restful sleep, boo hag free. Good, because I, first of all, need restful sleep. Second of all, I don't need no stinking of this house. When the cat poops, it stinks enough already. <laughs> so first, boo hags, just like other ghouls in Gullah folk culture, are repelled by the color blue. So painting your porch, your door, your door frames blue will keep the boo hag out. Nice. If that kind of home improvement is out of the question for you, you can also leave a broom or a colander by your bedroom door. Again, kind of like a vampire, Boo hags are curious, and they're also compelled to counting. So, what is with all these things being compelled to count stuff? Like, if you drop rice, then they have to sit there and count every last bit of rice. And I don't know. I think it's like counting's like a very mystical thing. If you think uh, about yeah. it, and I, I'm assuming that's why so many mystical and mythic creatures have to count things. So you're saying that like accountants are like super occulty? Maybe. Hmm. CPAs out there, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> So the boo hag will stop and have to count all the bristles in the broom, all the holes in the colander, all that good stuff. I'm sure I didn't find anything about throwing rice down, but they have enough rice. I'm sure that would make that, them count. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that'll keep that boo hag occupied until morning because every morning they have to return to their skin or they lose that skin forever and they can't basically hide in plain sight. Wow. Like can they only feed not in skin? Yes. They okay. have to take their skin off to feed. Good question. Okay. So they... Strip down, go out for a night of creeping and crawling. <laughs> now, if you don't have a colander handy or a broom, there's also, of course, good old salt. The most versatile seasoning and monster repellent there is. If you don't have salt, are you really even alive? I don't know. Really? Ugh, come on. You can spread salt. It doesn't have to be kosher. It doesn't have to be sea salt. It can be plain old table salt. Across the threshold. How about that black salt? Oh, yeah. Lava or that salt. pink one. Ooh, the Himalayan. Himalayan. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm sure you could. All salt works. Actually, Himalayan salt probably works even better against ghoulies and creeps because it's like has the iron in it. Yeah, that would probably work yeah. better. Yeah. Anyway, you can spread We're it. We're speculating, folks. <laughs> you can spread it. Thresholds, windowsills. That'll keep a boo hag out. Okay. Uh, and if you're unlucky enough to encounter a boo hag's empty skin, which in and of itself is a terrifying thought. Yeah, no thanks. I don't want to just walk and be like, what's that pile of skin? <laughs> you can sprinkle salt on that and that'll stop the boo hag from being able to return to that skin in the morning. Does it shrivel up like a slug? I don't know. But there were a lot of things saying like you can, if you suspect somebody of being like a boo hag, you can try to salt them. And I'm like, that's literally assault. That would be assault. Ugh, yes. Terrible. I know. I thought it too. You're not alone. <laughs> Um, some sources also say that that's actually how you destroy a boo hag. You salt its skin so it can't use it again. Others say that you need to burn the skin to prevent it, to destroy a boo hag. That's going to get stinkier than the boo hag itself. Yeah. So pick yeah. your battles, guys. Pick your battles. Very stinky. Now, Roadsters, if those tips don't work for you, never fear. You can get help from your local friendly hoodoo conjure doctor or root worker. All right. Um, I am here for appointments. Uh <laughs> So hoodoo is is similar to voodoo, but it's a more, I would say, less ca- way less Catholic and more. Are you talking about hoodoo? Yeah, yeah. Hoodoo is more folk magic, where voodoo is like an actual religion. Yes, and it's part of the Gullah magic and spiritual traditions. It's it's part of a it's a living breathing practice of their folk culture, um, and there are still practitioners in the Low Country of South Carolina and parts of Georgia today. Think so about. Can, 
way back in the beginning of this podcast when we talked about powwow. Yeah. It's similar to that. Yeah, very similar to powwow. So they can help you out. They will work some roots for you, maybe help with some basic spells to cure you of your boo hag infestation. So Eden, to wrap up, I have a fun fact for you since I know you love fun facts. <laughs> and I just love boo hags too, so and go since for you, it. And since you ended your story on an unfun fact, I figured I'd end mine on a fun fact. Good, okay. In Gullah culture, instead of saying something like, sleep tight, don't let the bug bugs bite when you wish someone good night and they're going to bed, yeah. they say, don't let the hag ride ya. Isn't that great? That I love it. I kind of love it. Don't let that hag ride you. Funny thing about the sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite mm-hmm. thing is that when I was a kid, my mom explained to me like what that meant because we didn't have bu- bed bugs yet, yep. you know, because they were all pretty much eradicated. Um, and the sleep tight of how you had to like tie the bed and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Uh, so she explained all that. And I was thinking to myself, bed bugs. I'm glad those don't exist anymore. And then many, many years later, <laughs> what happens? They come back with a fucking vengeance so now you can just say don't let the hag ride you yeah done done so sounds good how do you feel about the boo hag well then it sounds like you really don't like someone's wife or mother (laughs) (laughs) don't let the hag ride you that could be a bit insulting yes (laughs) (laughs) so thoughts on the boo hag that is some fucking terrifying shit thank you um (laughs) i don't like things without skin it sounds like something out of silent hill I don't like it. Who am I kidding? I love it because it's terrifying. But I also hate it because I don't want it anywhere near me. I don't get good enough sleep as it is or really any sleep. Um, Also, I don't want weird smells in my house. (laughs) I'm just like, you know what? Another reason to paint my porch. A lovely shade of blue. A wonderful shade of blue. Mm -hmm. So my sources for this story were, of course, Wikipedia Buford-SC.com, NorthCarolinaGhost.com, LowCountryWeekend.com, and ScaresAndHauntsOfCharleston.wordpress.com. All right. Thank you for that story. That was fun. You're welcome. I figure it's a nice, little bit cheerier story for us. I actually thought about, what was it, North Carolina, I think, doing the Beast of Bladenboro. I don't think I know that. But then I didn't do it. Mm. So... Maybe next time. Maybe next time. On the road trip back? Yes. I have been asked if we're going to do a road trip back. We might. TBD. Yeah, we might. We we still are uncertain whether we want to continue doing U.S. stories, whether we want to go to Canada or somewhere, you know, across the globe. Yeah. If you guys have an opinion, please let us know. Yeah, what would you guys like? Because we'd really like to know. I mean, we have a while, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> If you have a strong opinion, let us know. You can reach us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com or you can stop by any of our social media sites on Facebook and Instagram. We're Roadside Horror Show. On Twitter, we are Roadside Horror. Um, we'd like to thank Yoxbox Designs for our logo and also E. Massey for our intro and outro music. Oh, you can also visit our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. Check out our fun links and our fun photos. Uh, So until next week, Roadsters. Creep creep on, creeping on. on.